Praise God. Oh, that was just such a good time of worship. Toph and Jess Carly, that was so fun. I don't know where you all went. Toph's here. <laughs> Man, I just had a great time. Woo! Hallelujah. So, Father, we just thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you that we can kick off the Easter season. Oh, that we just get to celebrate you and what you have done. You know, we, it's so easy to make everything about us, but it's not about us. Without you, we can do no thing. But I thank you, Father, because of you, all things are now possible to us who believe. And so we just thank you for this season, Jesus, where you came and you laid down your life on our behalf. You took our sin and shame upon you. You took it to the grave and you killed it. You left it there. You raised victorious. You went up and you sat down on the right hand of the Father in glory. Glory, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And you raised us up and made us to sit together with you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we just thank you that we can celebrate you, Jesus. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, last week, you guys got a treat. You got Pastor Wendy. I finally was able to get her to come back out and preach. And, you know, she preached a fire message from the Lord. It was so great. I really enjoyed it. It was nice just being able to sit back and partake of that for a bit. But this morning, we're going to jump back into our series, Dream On. Dream On. Dream back on where we were two weeks ago and get going down the path. In Acts chapter 2 verse 17 it says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. When he says all flesh, he was not leaving people out. And you know, and so much of religion say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, that's great for you, but it's not for me. And you know, it's just for select people. Well, the Bible disagrees. It says he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So say, that's me. And it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. In, in, our, in our leader meeting right before the service started, before we opened the door, Pastor Robin asked the question. He said, he said, how many people over 60 in their second half of life are now beginning to have dreams? He said, how many people in your, your first 60 are now starting to have visions? You know, this, there should be an expectation in our heart. What the Word of God says is true. These things should just be natural to us as Christians because that's what he said would happen. And he said, so my, my sons and my daughters will prophesy. My young men will dream dreams. Old men shall have visions. And God is wanting you to see beyond current circumstances. And now when I say that, I'm not talking about this pandemic. Yes, so many people are wrapped up in that, but God is wanting you to see beyond all the circumstances in your life. He's wanting you to see beyond because God doesn't bring you into something to leave you there. He leads you through into the fullness of the promise that he has for you. 
Hallelujah. So he's wanting you to see beyond. You know, I preached a message probably eight or nine years ago now based on that country song that says, if you're going through hell, keep on going. You might just get out before the devil even knows you're there. And we don't need to set up camp and set up our residence in a place that God has not called us to. You may not like where you are right now. Keep on going. See beyond. Don't let yourself get stuck in what God has not called you to. He's wanting us to see beyond natural limitations. Because it says that, that we, have a, we are maybe in this world, but we are not of this world. And so what this world's limitations are, are no longer your limitations. Let's just think of Jesus, the one whom we're to imitate, the one we're to model our life at. You know that even the laws of physics weren't subject to him. He just walked across the water. When they were hungry, he said, what do you got? And he took some loaves and he fishes and he just multiplied them. He was not bound by natural limitations. And the Spirit of God was in him. And when you receive him, you're working from the same set of rules. Because he's not a respecter of persons. He came to be our example and show us the way that it was possible for us. He's wanting us to see beyond cultural expectations. And now this is such an important one in the time that we live in where there's so much racial uh, upheaval and so much turmoil going on. But you are not your race. You are not your ethnic background. You are sons and daughters of Almighty God now. And I like what Galatians 3 says. It says that for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. So we think about that. You know, the Jews, they thought themselves very superior to everyone else. And so when Paul was writing, he often went to the Jews first. He would come into an area, he would go to the synagogue, and so I think he's really speaking to them and saying, get off your high horse. God has leveled the playing field in Christ Jesus. You are all sons and daughters. And so we need to move beyond cultural expectations, and and we need to see beyond what is possible into the realm of impossibilities. Hallelujah. You know, if we think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, just picture this young girl. They think she was around 15 or 16. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Hey, guess what? You're going to be the mother of the Lord. And her response was, how? You know, think that that's a legitimate question. Here we have this young girl, how? And I like what the angel's response to her was. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? Think about this. He says, 
in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power once the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so when this was said to Mary, this is what he said next. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, what was impossible became possible. When the power of God came upon her, what was deemed impossible became possible. So how much more you, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that the power of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and what seemed impossible before now becomes possible to you. Come on, I'm, I'm preaching to Christians here. I'm preaching to Spirit-filled believers. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you need to let go of limitations, and you need to let go of impossibilities, and start believing a little bit bigger because you are no longer bound by the earthly restrictions and so a spirit-filled believer should be a person who looks beyond limitations not walks up to them and says well I guess that's it I better go home I better just sit down I better just put up with this this is just how it's going to be from now on out no when you come up to the limitations you go ahead and you boot the door down by the power of the Holy Spirit because you are not bound by what is possible the impossible is now possible to you because the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I like what the Passion Translation says in verse 37. It says, Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Not one promise. So why don't you get in the Bible and find out what he did say about you and what promises were given to you? Because it says all the promises in God are yes and amen. Well, that means so be it. Let it be done. Let it be established. Hallelujah. And so when Mary heard that, her response was, well, Gabriel, I'm, I'm just not really sure about that. That's really not how things work around here. <laughs> no. She said, this is amazing. <laughs> I love that translation. This is amazing. I will be a mother to the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And then the angel left because he's like, she got it. She understands it. She knows what's happening. She said, I will be. She didn't say, well, I guess I'll just wait and see. We'll see what happens next, and then, then we'll decide what we're going to do. No, she heard the word of the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit was coming upon her, and she said, yes, it will be that way. We used to sing a song around here called, It'll Be As I Say and No Other Way but the way that I say. Because when you put the word of God in your mouth, it's as good as it was in his mouth because it's still working under the same power that it was sent forth to as when he spoke it and they wrote it down. The reason why they wrote it down is so that it wouldn't be forgotten. Why? So that you could see it and then you could say, yes, that's me. Yes. Hallelujah. And so a spirit-filled believer is one who sees and understands when others do not. So we're talking about Acts chapter 2, where it said the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They'll speak forth by divine inspiration, right? They'll, they'll have dreams. They'll have divinely suggested dreams from God. It says that they'll have visions. They'll be able to see the way through when others do not. This is what I'm talking about for you guys. This is what he's talking about you. He's not talking about someone 2,000 years ago. When he speaks, he was speaking to his children, and I count myself among them, right? Do you, am I the only one in this church this morning? Come on. God is talking to you. And so we should have an expectation in our heart that I look to situations and I'm like, I know exactly what I need to do. I know exactly what needs to be done next. I know what step needs to be taken. I don't look to what I don't have. I look to what I do have. And what I have is greater than anything I could find in this world because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Who's in me? Jesus. And what's bigger? It says that at, at his name, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. And so a spirit-filled believer is one who sees and understands when others do not. Now, we could take a look at Daniel this morning, and we could, we could spend a lot of time when, when it comes to dreams and visions talking about Daniel. But he, he gets carried away as a slave, you know, you, you don't look at this as like the model of, yes, I want to be exactly like Daniel. He was in slavery. He was carried away from his land and forced to serve the Babylonian Empire. But what happens is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and nobody can interpret it. And so he decides, hey, you, you smart people, you're no good to me if you can't help me when I need it. Let's just get rid of you all. And so Daniel hears out. Somebody knocks on his door and says, hey, guess what? It's time for you to die. No, these other guys can't, can't uh, interpret the dream. And he says, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Hey, hey g- give me a minute here. And the, the king had asked something specific. He, he said, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You need to tell me the dream. And then you need to tell me the interpretation. So he's taken it a little bit further than what we would normally see. And Daniel says, it's okay. Bring me before him. I'll let you know. And he gets before him. He tells the dream to him. He interprets the dream. The king's happy. Years it goes down the road, and he has another, ki- another dream. And again, he can't interpret it. Neither, nobody can. And so he knows, hey, I know someone who can do this. He remembers Daniel. And in ver- chapter 4, verse 18, it says... Since all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able. Think about that. You are able. He didn't question Daniel's ability because he'd already seen it at work. And once you begin to see it at work in your life, you get a little bit more confidence, right? Because as he's done it before, he'll do it again. He didn't change from the last time you hit a situation to this one. And as he brought you through in the past, he'll bring you through again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so King Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel and says, they couldn't do it, but you are able. You need to have a little confidence in in what you are able to do because of who's inside of you. And he tells him exactly why he knows he's able. For the spirit of the holy God is in you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall have visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your men servants and your maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Why? Because the spirit of God was upon them. 
And it's the same way here with Daniel. And then we fast forward a generation. Nebuchadnezzar's son comes to the throne and he's not making great decisions and so God shows up in his ballroom and he puts his hand there and he begins to write on his wall and nobody can interpret what was written there. And so they're, they're in a little bit of a fuss like we need to know this giant hand just showed up and wrote on our wall. We need to know what it said. And so finally the queen steps forward and said, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods. She didn't really understand it, but she said they were found in him. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, Explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, in whom the king named Belshazzar. I like that because it means the prince whom God favors. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. You know, when you follow the Spirit of God, you find yourself in places that you didn't have to open the doors for. Other people called for you because they begin to recognize the Spirit of God in your life. And so the king calls Daniel and he says, I've heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, in none of those situations that I just read did they say, Let's call Daniel, he's a pretty smart guy which tells me they weren't looking at what he was naturally. Every time they said, he's got the Spirit of God. What do you got? You got the Spirit of God. Say it, I have the Spirit of God. That means you have wisdom. You have understanding. You see things when others do not. You understand what needs to be done when others do not. And so when you walk into a situation and people are saying, I just don't know what, I'm gonna, what we're going to do. You know, it doesn't look good for this company. Hey, you may be the low man on the totem pole, but you can say, well, I know. And let the Holy Spirit begin to flow through you. I love this story that Jesse DePlanis told that when they were building their church auditorium, that they, someone screwed up on the engineering and they were going to have to put this big pillar in the center of the sanctuary because the building would fall in if it didn't have it. And uh, so Je Jesse was like, no, <laughs> I don't want this big pillar right in the middle. So everybody's looking through and all they see is this pillar. Figure it out. And they said, no, the engineers have looked at it. We, we, just, we just don't know. We, we just can't. It has to be there. And he said, no, no, it doesn't. And so he gathered all the construction workers together. And he said, everybody, grab hands. We're going to pray right now. And they began to pray, or he began to pray, and they all just kind of looked at him. He said, like, the drywall guy was sitting there smoking. He's like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess we're praying here. And they, they grabbed hands, and he began to pray. And then he stopped, and he said, okay, who knows what we're supposed to do? And everybody's quiet. And then finally... The guy who's there to clean up the site. He's not, he's not the drywaller. He's not the contractor. He's not the engineer. He said, well, I, I, I don't know if it's God, but what if you did this? And the engineers and the contractors got together and said, he's actually right. That'll work. And so he doesn't have a spat pillar in the middle of his sanctuary now because God was able to give wisdom because they stopped and looked to the Spirit. 
And so you have to always check your heart. What doors are you closing by what you think about it? And what doors are you opening by stopping and saying, Holy Spirit, I know you know what, what needs to be done here. So why do I say this this morning? Why do I start this way? Because I want to build expectation in you. This is what happens to spirit-filled believers because the Bible tells us that. That the Spirit will come upon all flesh. My sons and daughters shall prophesy. They'll speak forth under divine inspiration. That dreams, godly suggested dreams, will just begin to happen. That you'll be able to have sight. I want that expectation to be in you. That I see and I know. That became part of my morning confession a while ago. That I always say, I see and I know. I see what needs to be done. I know what you're saying, Holy Spirit. Why? Because I'm priming my own heart and my own expectation that if a wall comes up, that's okay. We can knock walls down. We've got a big old bulldozer named the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when we started this series, we were talking about Joseph, and I said we would come back to him because there's just so much in his life that, that is uh, so relevant to this topic. But we took, a, we took a detour into Abraham, and we looked at his father, Terah. But with Joseph, one thing we need to know about him is that he's not someone who gave up when it very much would have been easy to do so. When we last talked about Joseph, he had two dreams. In the first dream, him and his brothers are out in the field. They're gathering wheat, and they're binding up their stalks. He said in his dream, his stalk stood up straight, and his brothers gathered round and all bowed down to his. And they said to him, what, are we going to serve you? Are you going to have dominion over us? And then he had a second dream. And in this one, he saw the sun and the moon and the stars all gathered together. And it said the sun and the moon and the other 11 stars all bowed down to his. And his father was like, should your mother and I serve you too? And so you have to ask yourself this question. Why did God give Joseph these dreams? Why not just let Joseph walk out the path? You want to know why? Because what God wants doesn't automatically happen. Contrary to most religious thinking, what God wants doesn't automatically happen unless people work with him. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, God's desire is that all men should be saved, but we know they're not. And so God wants us to be healthy as well because he took stripes on his back so that by his stripes we were healed, but we're not all. So unless we work with him, his plans don't come to pass on this earth. And so why did God give Joseph two dreams? Because he needed to give him a little hope for what he was about to walk through. And so if you catch one thing that I say this morning, remember this. Dreams and visions are fueled by hope and faith. If God hadn't given Joseph these two dreams when he was young, when he was hopeful, he would have given up hope in the midst of what he was about to go through. And I find that the louder God talks to you, Man, you better hold on. <laughs> There's a reason why he talked that way, because you're going to need to remember what he said. 
And in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so when we lose hope, everything else in our life begins to go downhill. But it says, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. If we don't learn to hold on to hope and keep our faith planted, our heart becomes sick. We begin to lose our our passions. We begin to lose our desires. But when it says the desires come, it is a tree of life. So which would you rather have in your life? Would you like to have something that dries up and dies? Or would you like to have something that gives life? Okay, let me ask that question again. What would you rather have in your life? Something that dries up and dies or something that gives life? That means we need to learn to hold on to hope. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Now, who are the heirs of promise? We are. We already read that. If any man be in Christ... We've been made one in him, and therefore we've become heirs of the promise. We read that in Galatians 3. And so he's wanting to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. What does that big word mean? It just means the unchangeableness of his wisdom. He doesn't change his mind. It says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when this was written... He hasn't changed since then. He thinks the same way right now here today. And so he wants to show the heirs of his promise, the unchangeableness of his wisdom, so he confirmed it by an oath that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge and to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. To lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Let's say it again. To lay hold of the hope that is set before us. What does it mean to lay hold of? (laughs) It doesn't mean to treat softly. It doesn't mean to be like, oh, hope, please, please come with me. Please, please come, Hope. Please, oh, I'm, I, I, I so need you. Oh, Hope. No, it means, come on, Hope. We're going for a walk. You're coming with me. I don't care if you don't want to come. I will drag you kicking and screaming. It means to lay hold of. And it's not a word that means anything light. And so when hope comes before you, you got to grab it. Because you're going to need it. And so he says that we who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And the next verse says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So why did God give Joseph those two dreams? He was going to need a pretty hefty anchor. And there's going to be times in your life when he speaks, write it down. Lay hold of it. You may not know why he's telling you something today, but when you get there tomorrow and be like, that was why, I'm so glad I brought it with me instead of leaving it back there in the desert. We lay hold of the hope. 
When you're reading through the Bible in your daily times with him and something stands out, it stands out for a reason. Write it down. Put it on a little cue card. Put it in your phone. Put a reminder. You know, I've found a great thing. We have these awesome phones that you can just go, hey, set a reminder. What would you like to be reminded of? And I speak it to it, and I say, remind me every morning at 6 o'clock. Buzzes me, and it says, speak your confession, Jordan. The only reason we leave things behind is because we don't prioritize bringing them with us. And so when God speaks a word of hope and a word of faith to your heart, determine to bring it with you. Now, we've probably all heard this verse a billion trillion times by now, but in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. This is God speaking. I know the thoughts that I think. Do you know the thoughts that he thinks? Because he knows. He's not confused. He says, I know the thoughts that I think, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. And that should derail a lot of religious thinking there. God's thoughts are thoughts of peace towards you and not of evil. He's a good God and there's a bad devil. Don't confuse the two. He says, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a, say it with me, hope. But which one comes first? Future or hope? No, future. If you don't see yourself with the future, hope begins to die. Why do people give up? Because they feel like tomorrow's not worth it because they don't have a tomorrow. If you don't see yourself with the future, hope will die. And so what is it that God has spoken to you? See yourself doing it or hope will die. See it come into pass, or hope will die. If you don't take time to feed it, hope will die in your heart, because future comes first, then hope. I like how the King James Version says it, though. He says it in one sentence, to give you an expected end. What does it mean to expect? Hmm? What does it mean to expect? It means to anticipate it. It means to prepare for it. If I'm expecting to go on vacation, what do I do? I book the tickets. I pack the bags. I put the sunscreen in because when this pandemic's over, I'm going somewhere warm. (laughs) I'm going to sit on a beach for a few days. I have an anticipation of it, and I'm going to prepare for it. What you expect to happen, you prepare and make room for. And so the Bible definition of hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. So what is it that you're anticipating? Because Bible hope aligns itself with a good future, thoughts of peace and not of evil. What are you anticipating? Because that's what the root of that word means. It means to anticipate with pleasure, not anticipate with dread. Anticipate with pleasure. To stir it up on the inside of us long before it ever even arrives. Hallelujah. Well, let's get back to Joseph. You thought I forgot about him, didn't you? So God gives Joseph two dreams because he's going to need those dreams as an anchor. 
He told him there's something coming in his future that is going to make his brothers bow down to him and even his father and his mother bow down to him and be like, thank you, Joseph. But he's not seen it come to pass yet. And in chapter 37, verse 13, it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Do not your, thy brothers feed thy flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came to them, they conspired against him to slay him. Well, that doesn't seem like the dream at work. And they said to one another, Behold, this dreamer comes. I like the literal translation of it. It says, Here comes the master of dreams. Now, they said it in a mocking tone to him. They were doing it to tear him down, not realizing they were prophesying his destiny over him. And so they say to each other, come now, therefore, let us kill him. Let us cast him into some pit, and we'll say some evil beast has torn him up, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And it says, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. Where did that come from? And he said, let us not kill him. Up until this point, all of the brothers have been determined to tear Joseph down. And when it matters most, one changes their mind. Why do I say that? Because when you think there's no way out, God still has a million different ways to do it. And so the brothers are thinking, let's end this dream now. And for some reason, Reuben the oldest says, no, maybe guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. And he says to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. That, and he said this, and he even gives his reason, that he might get him out of their hands and deliver him back to his father again. And so when you feel like there's no way out, God still has a way. There is still a way before you now. Even if you feel like all the walls have closed in around you, there is still a way that you haven't thought of yet. In 1 Corinthians 13, the 10 verse 13, it says, he is no, There is no temptation that, is, uh, that has overtaken you, the, such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. He will not let you suffer to be tempted above what you are able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape. Whatever you find yourself in, there will always be another option because God is faithful. I love, I love how the message translation says that. It says, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Isn't that faithfulness? And so, the brothers are determined, let's end this dream now. And out of nowhere comes Reuben. But then Reuben, he gets called away to deal with the sheep. And the plan goes back into motion. Oh no, I thought that was the way that God was going to deliver Joseph out of their hands. Well, well, that way failed. God always has another way. In chapter 39, we find out what happened. 
They were looking out and they see some Ishmaelite traders coming along and they think, why should we kill him when we can make some money off of him? And this is interesting because it's, it's a symbol of what would happen to Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver thinking, okay, I'm going to make a little money. They're going to kill him anyways. I might as well profit off of it. And so it's symbolic of the same way that would Jesus would, he's thinking he's delivering Jesus into their hands, not realizing Jesus was about to be lifted up so that he could lift everyone else up. And so Joseph, they take him out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for for 20 pieces of silver and he gets carried away into slavery into Egypt. You would think at this point the dream is dying, right? But in chapter 39 it says this, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. I love that. The Lord was with Joseph. But he just got carried away into slavery. And the Lord was still with him. But that doesn't look like the dream will come to pass, but the Lord was with him. And it says, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. I love that. It was not just something that Joseph felt in his heart. It was something that became visible through him. Why? Because when you have hope, you look different. When you have hope, you work different. When you have a faith that this is not the end, you live different. And they begin to see it on Joseph. Why did God give Joseph those two dreams? Because hope needed to stay alive. And so whatever Joseph was going to come to in this life, he knew what the end was. And he hadn't seen it yet, which means that it wasn't over. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Even as a slave? Even in a less than desirable situation? Yeah. God doesn't need perfect conditions to lift you up. Thank God for that. Because every time you get your ducks in a row, someone shoots one. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. In verse 5 it says, So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I like that. You should expect that your friends your family, those around you begin to get blessed for your sake. Robin and I like to say all the time that the blessing surrounds us. His favor goes before us. That it prepares a way for us before we even come onto the scene. And one thing Robin was pointing out to me the other day, we were doing some shopping, and she said, have you noticed that every store we've gone into has been empty? But once we got there, it just began to overflow with people. And she said, said to me, she's like, the blessing's at work in us, and people will be blessed 
just by being around us. And here that's happening in Joseph's life. The Lord bless the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. God gave Joseph those two dreams so that he wouldn't lose heart. And the rest of the story goes like this. He started in a pit, and then he gets brought to the, to the Pharaoh's captain of the guard's house. He begins to prosper, and then things get messed up again, and he gets thrown in prison. But it's not long before he's running the prison. <laughs> who, lets, who lets the inmate run the prison? Doesn't make sense. Maybe we could say it seems impossible. But didn't we start saying that we are not limited by what is possible? And from that place of influence that God gave Joseph, he meets the butler and the baker, and they both have a dream. And Joseph, having insight, being able to see what needs to be done, what's really going on, he interprets both their dreams. And he says, remember me. And what do they do? They forget him. But when it mattered most, Pharaoh has a dream. And one that had that dream interpreted in the prison says, I know a guy. And they bring Joseph before him. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's raised up to be the number one guy in the entire land. And through him, the entire region saved from starvation. Not only that, his entire family is saved. Maybe you're in a position right now where it feels like, hey, I, this is not where I want to be. It's not where you're going to stay. You keep going forward. You keep pursuing the promise that God has put in your heart. Keep stirring up that hope. Bring into remembrance the thing that God has said about his children. Go ahead and continue to speak over yourself and saying that I see and I know. I know exactly what needs to be done in this. This is not my downfall. This will be for my upbringing. This will be for my upkeep. That whatever I find myself in, I will win because I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. It seems like maybe you're saying, hell, this pain is just seems to be lingering in my body. Go ahead and stir up in your remembrance that he took stripes on his back for you, that by his stripes you are healed. And so what do you want to dwell on, the pain or the promise, the hope or the failure? Go ahead and stick to what he has said and let him bring you from the pit, let him bring you through the prison, and let him put you back in the palace where it was told that you were destined for. Amen? Father, we just thank you that we don't have to be without hope in this world, that we can lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And so, Father, this morning we just choose to do that. Come on, guys, go ahead and lift up your hands with me. Say, I choose hope. I choose future. I choose victory. I choose deliverance. I choose you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that with you, 
There's nothing that we cannot do. That I always triumph. I always win because of you, Jesus. Maybe you're here in this place this morning or you're watching us via the internet and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the first step. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to receive you into his family. But you just have to call on his name and turn to him. And so right now, we would love to pray with you and say, Father, right now, I ask for Jesus. I receive him. I get on a new path this morning. And I choose to walk with you and call you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We would love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say, welcome home. We would love to walk this journey together with you. But guys, I said if there was one thing you remember this morning, it was this. Dreams and visions are fueled by hope and faith. If you feel like the dream has died, and the vision has failed, it's easy to come back and stir up hope. Amen? Pastor Robin. Praise God. It's offering time. Um, and my expectation is that if I sow, I will reap. Amen? And yours should be the same. Amen? So we're going to say this confession together. That, uh, as I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, Craig, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decreased, bills paid off, blessing and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs, that I have more than enough to give the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you release your faith, receive what God has for you. Amen. And there's a couple of ways you can give. There's a basket in the back there on the shelf as you're leaving. You drop something off in there and or on wordchurch.ca backwards slash give. Amen. You are a blessed people. Amen. Amen.